0: Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host Lauren Lucio. For anyone who didn't see my Instagram post, uh, last week's episode didn't happen because I had laryngitis and that voice you just heard, that app voice, well that's how I had to speak for about three days because I couldn't use my vocal cords. My voice completely cut out. And apparently if you use them when they're inflamed and infected, then you can have long-term damage to your vocal cords. And since I've just started a podcast this year, that's the last thing I wanted. But let's let's start again. Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. back last week was not good I couldn't talk because of the laryngitis it was um, made me anxious it made me really anxious and uh, I really didn't like not putting out an episode but you know what I worked hard I healed and we're back this week and this week's case it is uh, it's not very black and white it is not open and shut and if you ask me which nobody did Oh, that should have been a good name for my podcast, actually, <laughs> if you ask me, which nobody did. Um, I find the lack of evidence and shoddy police work alarming in this. what we're going to talk about this week. I don't want to cloud your judgment, so I'm going to lay down the facts and everything I know about this case. Uh, as per usual, all the source information will be uh, located in my show notes. And I say I don't want to cloud your judgment, but I'm going to be putting in a lot of personal thoughts throughout this episode let's just get into it let's not waste a moment's more time august 15th the year 2000 shit 2000 that doesn't sound like that long ago but that was over 22 motherfucking years ago and that that scares me that's a that's yikes anyways august 15th 2000 a woman from latvia comes to america to become a nanny for a family in connecticut Her name is Angelica Graswald, and at at this time, she was around 20 years old, blonde hair, physically fit, nature-loving, kind of a hippie vibe I get from her, like earthy. She was into singing and photography, so artsy, outdoorsy type, a free spirit, a little free-flying bird. And Angelika, she had a modest upbringing in Latvia with her mother and father. She loves sports, camping, and fishing. She's always been into this. It's, it's her. It's who she is. I don't know much about Latvia, uh, just that it's near Russia. I've never been there. And when I googled Latvia, I found out that it has the world's fastest internet. So now I know that as well. Angelika Go back to Angelica, she married quite quickly upon moving to America but the marriage it didn't last long and it ended in divorce less than a year after they said their I do's. I couldn't find anything about this marriage just that it was to a repairman who worked in heating and cooling and it didn't last long and neither did her nanny job and by the time she was 21 she was divorced from that guy she wasn't a nanny anymore and she was working in a bar in Connecticut. Then, again, she married quite quickly, and that's how she got the last name Graswald. But they, they also divorced, and she kept that name. When she was married to this husband, she switched her line of work and started working in a library and museum. But I'm not sure if she was bored with that or if she was looking for more excitement. You know, maybe this lifestyle wasn't quite for her because she ended up meeting a DJ at a bar and leaving her husband for this DJ this girl she just cannot be alone or something I don't know so they moved in together but it sounds like he didn't exactly invite her to move in with him it sounds like she was just like okay I live here now and just kind of wiggled in rent free but the relationship with the DJ didn't last I think it lasted uh, a year and a half and then they broke up And then when Angelica was 34 years old, she went back to doing bar work, which apparently she wasn't good at because she was fired for not doing a good job. Maybe she was slacking off a lot on the job and, you know, bar work, it's fucking intense. It's fast paced. It's confusing at times. It's repetitive. It's loud. And most dangerous of all is the access to booze. It's very easy to drink on the job and get caught up chatting to people and having a good time. I mean, you're in that environment after all. I can't say exactly what the problem was with her work ethic here. It could have been stuff like being on the phone all the time or being late, whatever, stuff like that is. That's kind of what it sounded more like, actually. Um, she got fired from that job, then quickly got hired at another bar, Which, they tolerated this, um, I don't know, they tolerated this, they liked her behind the bar, the owners liked her, so whatever. And there she met her next boyfriend, 44-year-old Vincent Viafor. Vincent had a good job as a project manager. Even though there's a 10-year age gap, like Angelica, he had been married twice before. So there's Vincent and Angelica, they're 10 years apart in age, but they've both been married and divorced twice. The two really clicked. Angelica was fun, outgoing, adventurous, and loved to kayak just like Vincent. I do want to say something on this married twice thing. So I did see this in a few sources, but then in another few sources, I saw that they had been married once before not to each other obviously but they had been married and divorced once before so I don't know if it was if they've been through two divorces or one divorce because multiple sources were saying different things I just want to make that clear soon after the two started dating Angelica moved into Vincent's apartment in Poughkeepsie New York which that is a fun name to say Poughkeepsie just I don't know I love that okay and by soon after She moved in, I mean, a couple months. And then when Vincent asked Angelica to marry him, she quit her job. So I see a pattern here. All this will not look good for her when she is under harsh scrutiny. Her character gets very harshly scrutinized later on. Everything I read, it kind of paints this picture that she monkey bars from man to man for like rent and money and that she doesn't like to work now I don't know her personally so I can't say how much of this is exaggerated or if it's bang on or if the media was trying to make her look bad or if someone was trying to make her look bad I don't know you know what happens the media gets a hold of things and they just dig into all your dirt and they just air that shit so but through all my research on this case all these facts seem to stay the same in every source. And it didn't really paint her in a good light. So if she quit her job when Vincent proposed to her, how did she fill her days? Well, she had passions, baby. She was a passionate woman. And she had hobbies like yoga, photography, and she also volunteered on a creepy ass island doing landscaping and groundwork. This island is called Bannerman's Island and legend has it that the indigenous claim it to be haunted. And if you see pictures of it, then um, I think you would too. It's old as fuck. It's on the Hudson River, surrounded by this murky water that seems to just be bottomless and frigid. The structure on it looks like this incredibly beautiful gothic castle which is huge and straight out of a haunted fucking halloween episode i wonder if sam and colby will ever go to this island sam and colby by for some fucking miracle if you hear this Checo bannerman's island the history of this place was pretty interesting to read about And i will just sum it up from an article i read about it today it is an uninhabited island nobody lives there they do run tours and volunteers do keep up the six and a half acre property on the island the castle it's an abandoned military surplus warehouse meaning they stored weaponry there during wars i'm not going to go deep into the exact history i didn't I didn't get the exact weaponry that was stored there or anything like that or like for witch wars or whatever. But it's called Bannerman's Island because that's the surname of the people who bought it in uh, the year 1900 after they found it by accident while canoeing on the Hudson River. And the people who owned it before them sold it to the Bannermans for like $600, which I'm sure in the 1900s was a lot. Oh, actually I just did a uh, pricing conversion of how much 600 U.S. dollars in the 1900s would be worth in 2022. And it says $21,265.07. So they got a good deal on that, actually. The previous owners were called the TAFs. And they had a request, though, and um, this is where things got interesting. The Bannermans had to sign a document saying they would not use the island for illegal alcohol and prostitution, because I guess before the Tafts had it, it was Prohibition. You know, I guess Prohibition was was happening. So that would have been like the 1830s to, I think, when did Prohibition in? 1920s, 1930s or something. So anyways, I think Prohibition was still happening. So I... I'm not really sure about the history of Prohibition, but there's a great Drunk History episode on Prohibition if you want the exact dates. Um, and that show is uh, both hilarious and accurate, so shout out to Drunk History on the episode they did on the Prohibition, it was so funny. But when the Tafts owned it, and when they handed it over to the Bannermans, it would have been within this time of Prohibition. And apparently before the Tafts owned this island, it serves at a getaway for those seeking those services and goods, illegal alcohol and prostitution. I'm not sure if brothels were... Illegal, I don't know the history of that, although that would be interesting. But what gave me a laugh was that before the Tafts owned it, it was owned by someone else who apparently would dress up like Queen Victoria and call her husband Prince Albert. So I don't know what the fuck was going on on this island, but whatever it was, it had been going on a long time. This island seemed to have a very colorful past. When the Bannermans bought it 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 didn't have this gothic castle on it and when I saw the castle I thought oh shit why does that look so European? In Europe they have all those really old castles like I'm talking everywhere. I've been to a few in Romania and in the Czech Republic and they're just they're everywhere. They're everywhere but it's not common at all to see in the new world. That is a that's a term that's, that still freaks me out. Bannerman, he designed this gothic castle from ones he had seen in Europe. He was inspired by European old castles and now he had this island. He was like, I'm going to build me a damn gothic castle and it's going to be sweet and I hope he held Halloween parties on it and I hope he had illegal booze. So Bannerman, he's responsible for this beautiful castle on the island. Less than 20 years later... After he bought this island and constructed these castles, Bennerman died. Then there was a huge explosion in the powerhouse on the island, and things just started to fall apart from there. It wasn't upkept. I think it was it was handed over to his son. His son didn't really seem to give a fuck about this island, and it all started to fall apart. It's still there, but in 2010, major walls started collapsing, and it was all falling down. There's still enough there to be creepy and cool. And hey, you know I love all things creepy and cool. Would I tour this island? abso fucking am This is on my list of places to go. And I would love to time it for Halloween, actually. Mm. New York, an island with a decrepit old castle, leaves changing colors. Hell yes, count me in. Oh, wouldn't that be so cool if I recorded a live podcast from that island. okay that's that's in my dream bucket. I don't know if I'll ever have enough success with my podcast that make that happen, but hey, keep liking and sharing and following and maybe one day I can bring you a live Halloween special episode from Bannerman's Island. So this island, this Bannerman's island. this is the one Angelica was volunteering at doing gardening and ground maintenance. When she wasn't photographing sunsets and flowers and doing yoga, she was on this island gardening. Friends would describe Angelica as perky and happy with a good heart. But Vincent's mother described her as cold. So it depends, it depends who you ask, I guess. Vincent and Angelica's relationship was moving fast. And they were already living together just after a few months of dating. Then he asked her to marry him and... And then he put her on his life insurance policy. Okay, and he did this so she would be seen as his domestic partner and she could reap the benefits of his health insurance. I'm not totally sure how American health insurance works, but I guess that how it it worked for his insurance. So there's lots of insurance stuff happening here. This brings us up to April 19th, 2015. Angelica and Vincent, they both loved to kayak. This is a thing they loved before even knowing each other. These were like, you know, when they were, before they even knew each other, she loved kayaking, he loved kayaking, they, and then they met each other, and they were like, hey, we both love kayaking. And I imagine this was a, a bonding activity in their relationship. They each had their own kayak, Vincent's is blue, Angelica's is red, and they planned a trip this day. And the trip was to Bannerman's Island, and they were gonna push off from mainland at Plum Point. The kayak ride was 40 minutes to get to the island. Vincent brought some beers, Angelica brought her camera, and in one source it even said that she also brought some high heels and lingerie, and they were going to do like a fun lingerie photo shoot on the island, which I was like, shit yeah, that sounds like an awesome day. They make it to the island, all goes well on the kayak over. Remember that because I'm going to be talking about that a lot later. They wander around the island. Vincent drinks some beers. Angel- Angel- Angelina, Angelica takes some pics. They never did the lingerie shoot probably because the weather started to get bad and the wind was picking up, making making very rough waters. So they decide they better head back. These waters are getting rough. Let's head out. The temperature that day it wasn't that cold, but the water was freezing. It was 48 degrees Fahrenheit. And for my Celsius people like myself, that's eight degrees Celsius. That is cold enough to have ill effects on the body in a matter of five minutes if you are to fall in and you don't have a wetsuit on. And if you don't have a wetsuit or a life jacket on and you fall in within five minutes, you're going to start losing the ability to move your muscles. And then we think we know what happens when you're in water and you can't swim. The two had never done this trip before, but they were confident in their abilities. Although Vincent told Angelica, wear your life jacket but he didn't wear one because he didn't own one. They start their 40-minute kayak back, back to Plum Point, and the waves, they're getting intense. You know, they're crashing around. It's it's a it's rough. It's a rough, it's a rough river. They make it halfway when Angelica at 7:40 p.m. calls 911. The dispatcher answers, and Angelica is frantic. She says she is out kayaking on the Hudson River and that her fiancé has fallen into the water. You can hear the wind, she's shouting, you know it sounds like woo, 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 but like really loud, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to blow your eardrum out. But this call, it's it seems very chaotic. And she's shouting to the dispatcher that her fiancé's kayak has flipped over and she can't get to him because of the waves. The waves are too strong and they're pushing her away and she is concerned he's going to drown. And in this call, you can hear her screaming to him like, hold on, baby, I'm coming. And she's telling the the dispatcher, I'm trying to paddle. But this call, it struck me as odd at first. Because at one point in the call, the dispatcher says, stay on the phone with me. That's what the dispatcher says. And Angelica responds, I can't get to him. It's very windy. I can't paddle to him. That made me think she was maybe crafting this Story to a witness because the dispatcher didn't ask if she was paddling to him. But then I thought maybe Angel- Angelica was just guessing what the dispatcher was saying because it couldn't have been very easy to hear what the dispatcher was saying. She knew she had someone on the line on 911, and the wind was blowing, and the waves were crashing, and she was using speakerphone. In English, it isn't her first language. And, you know, she was probably quite. No, she was. Not probably. She was. She seemed quite frantic. This call goes on a bit longer until it drops out. Apparently, Angelica had also fallen out of her kayak at this point, but the dispatcher calls back. Rescue boats arrive shortly after. They get Angelica, but Vincent and his blue kayak have gone underwater. They search, but no luck. To everyone, including police, This looked like a terrible accident, and nobody was questioning it, and certainly nobody was claiming this was murder. How could it be? But also, without a body, who's to say it wasn't? The day after Vincent's kayak accident, police find his blue kayak, and what's kind of weird about this is that they found it on the mainland where the couple originally pushed off to head to the island. They found it at Plum Point. I was like, "What the hell is the odds of that? That's kind of crazy." Still, no Vincent though. So the search continued. This was a massive search. There was a lot of effort put in. Police used scuba divers, helicopters, search dogs. They used all the methods. The fire department was in on this. There was search parties. It was it was massive. Vincent, he wasn't just assumed to be dead, he was presumed missing at this point and his mother and family and friends and search crews were out looking for him. They spent days at the river hoping to find him clung to a rock or passed out on the shoreline but that never happened. While this massive search was taking place, people seemed to be noticing Angelica's behavior People thought it was weird how happy she seemed. Vincent's family and friends expected her to be worried, sick, distraught, and emotional. But instead, she was doing yoga and posting about it on social media, making videos saying what a beautiful day it was. And the most damning thing that haunted her throughout all of this and for years was the video of her doing cartwheels was the video of her doing cartwheels when Vincent's friends and family all came together uh, to be with each other. So there was like a family gathering, Angelica was there, and she was doing damn cartwheels in the grass in the backyard. Not good, Angelica yeah, don't, don't do that. Even if you're innocent, that's going to make you look guilty. In the interview I watched done by Crime Watch Daily, the journalist is interviewing Vincent's mother. Uh, Marianne is her name. His mother's name is Marianne. And Marianne says, Angelica was doing cartwheels in the backyard. Like that's, she says it like, Angelica was doing cartwheels in the backyard. And the journalist looks at her and says, Angelica was doing cartwheels in the backyard. But it's how... It's how the journalist says it. Um the tone in her voice is is like what the fuck and the mother's like yeah. So this cartwheel thing, this this was really front and center of this case. If you watch anything on this case, you're going to see Angelica was doing cart cartwheels in the backyard. You just you can't escape this. This was everywhere. Angelica was also seen at a restaurant on a night out, singing and looking very carefree. And all this was only days after Vincent's kayaking mishap. So you can see why police started to think, hmm, this is weird. Then Angelica invited the two investigators, Neil Moscato and Donald DeQuarto, who were searching for Vincent. She invited them, so they were searching. She went over to them. She's like, do you guys want to stop searching and come to this bar with me and have a drink? Because I'm celebrating Vincent's life. That's what she told them, like like a party. And they told her, no, we're going to keep looking for your fiance. And we have to keep looking. And <laughs> I guess she was like, okay, bye, and then went off to the bar. So this is this is not looking good for her. I'm just, I'm shaking my head over here. She's saying she's celebrating his life. His body hasn't been found yet. He's still presumed missing. I wonder if Angelica would have stayed home and not saw anyone or did cartwheels if they ever would have suspected murder because there was literally no evidence to say that a crime had happened. This was was looking fully accidental. This is when things get really weird in the investigation, to me, anyways. And I think a lot of other people also think this is when things got super weird. So it's day 11 of the search. And three investigators, two of which being Moscato and De Quarto, sorry, uh, they tell Angelica that they are going to search around Bannerman's Island to look around for anything, whatever, relating to this accident. And she told them she was also going there as well to release flowers in honor of Vincent and also to do some cleanup on the island since she is part of the uh, Preservation Society on Bannerman's Island. Sounds very prestigious. Investigator Neil Moscato tells Crime Watch Daily that they went out to look around. They didn't find anything, but he wanted to wait for a little while because he knew Angelica was coming. And so they waited, and sure enough, she shows up. They then ask her to recreate the day's events when Vincent went missing to kind of retrace the steps of everything that had happened. Moscato said she was acting weird, like smoking cigarettes one after another. She seemed off. And when Angelica and investigators were walking up a pathway, Angelica started crying. When I heard this, I was thinking, well, probably because she's back on the island where she was with her fiancé for the last time. But investigators, they tell a different story. And I say investigators because Angelica's story is much different. As they are walking and Angelica is crying, investigator De says that Angelica just started talking about her and Vincent's private sex life in not a good way. She was basically saying he was super demanding and was trying to get her to do stuff she didn't want to do. According to Moscato, he asked her if she would like to speak to one investigator alone because this was a, this, she was talking about some pretty private things, you know, and he thought that her speaking to three men about this was probably uncomfortable for her so this to me sounds weird because if someone is talking usually investigators don't want to try and stop them for even like a second they want them to just if they're spilling it they want to let that spill they don't want to put a cork in it move it around and then uncork it because maybe it won't come out you know what I mean so but apparently he had her best interest at heart and Angelica st- apparently said yes and she went off with Donald Trump Quarto alone and just the two of them to speak about this but they are on this island they are not recording there is no proof other than the detective's word that this is happening and as much as I would love to wholeheartedly trust police and detectives I can't I don't because I did a I just I did a whole corrupted police story not too long ago actually and this happens Okay, false confessions are a thing, people. A very common thing. DeCardo said that once him and, and Angelica were alone, that Angelica confessed to taking the plug out of Vincent's kayak, something investigators claim they didn't know about until that exact moment. So he asked her if that could be why Vincent's kayak had sunk that day, and he claims she said yes to this question. He then directly asks her, Did you take it out? And she replied, I think I did. Key word here, think. Before I go any further, I just want to say that I have been around a lot of free-spirited hippie types in the near decade I spent as a backpacker. I traveled to many, many, many countries. I think over like 32 countries. I have visited intentional communities, communes. I've lived in a sea of tent in the jungle with lots of musicians and artists and free spirits and there is a common belief that the universe will deliver through manifestation and this belief is very fucking strong amongst these like-minded people these communities it's this kind of situation it's like they pray basically to the universe and the universe will deliver but it's called like manifestation and this belief is so strong that Typically, the thought is that even if you wish or think about something uh, without taking any intentional actions towards making it happen, and then it does happen, they will often say they caused it by manifesting it. Even though it's possible, it's just something that happened uh, and would have happened even if the thought or the wish was never made. It's just a coincidence. Uh, I hope I express that in a clear way because uh, I'm going to bring up this a little later because I think Angelica had this way of thinking. Decuardo also says that Angelica said, a lot of he said, she said with no fucking proof here, um, that she said she took off the ring that holds Vincent's kayak paddle together. He then asks her if she took those things off because she wanted him dead and she said, I guess I did. So right there, that really feels like someone blaming themselves for a thought they had for something that happened and feeling guilty for thinking something bad about someone. (laughs) I could barely follow that, but I hope you know what I mean. De then asks her, could you have saved him and didn't? And she replies, yes. This reminds me of that Phil Collins song. I think it's called In the Air Tonight. And there's a lyric in there that says, Well, if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. And uh, there's also another lyric that says it's all been a pack of lies. And it's about someone who watches another person drown because they didn't want to save them. Um, Phil Collins says that he wrote that song out of anger for his ex-wife because of a messy divorce they had gone through. And that song, I hope you guys know what I'm talking about because as soon as I said it, you would have started to hear it play in your head. And that song is so haunting. And yet so many people don't know how dark it is. It's fucking dark. It is possible that Angelica is feeling a lot of guilt that she couldn't save Vincent. But police are saying it's more possible she could have saved him and didn't, like the Phil Collins song. So... Okay, let's just say Angelica and Vincent's relationship was deeply strained because of these sexual fantasies she didn't want to fulfill for him. And maybe at one point, she got so mad, she thought, "Mm, I wish he was dead. That is a terrible thought to have, yes. And she may believe that. Um, she, she may believe that she set the wheels in motion for the universe to fulfill her wish. So when that terrible kayaking accident happened and she wasn't strong enough to pull Vincent from the frigid water with waves crashing down and pushing them around, maybe her brain threw the thought at her just to let him go and maybe even convince herself that she wanted this because she had thought it once before. And this could be her brain trying to protect her from the pain of not being able to physically save her fiancé. Again, I'm not a psychologist. This is just a thought I had. Thoughts are not facts. But the brain, it works in mysterious ways. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rule anything out. Also, the fact that she's saying sentences like, I guess I did, that's not a solid answer. That leaves a lot of room for interpretation. And if she was confessing, then why wouldn't she be screaming, yes, I did do it, you know, or like really getting it off her chest because that's a solid answer. Yes, I did do it. That's a solid fucking answer. That's not beating around the bush. That's not, I think, or I guess, it is a direct statement. Decuardo said he then asked her why she didn't help Vincent and she said she wanted to be free. She wanted him gone and she wanted to be herself. In the True Crime Watch Daily interview, DeQuarto tells the journalist that that they were not prepared for this confession, and he said they had nothing with them because they were on this island just to look around for a few things pertaining to the case. And he said they didn't even have pens. Right there, I was like, hold on. Three investigators go to investigate a disappearance, a missing persons, and they don't even bring a pen. What were they looking for then, being so underprepared? What, what's happening here? Why were they, wh- what were they going to do then? What were they going to do if they found something? So they, I don't know, this just seemed really weird to me. It, it didn't make sense. It also seems weird to a lot of people. And some even think that the investigators were out there purposefully to corner Angelica. In an ABC episode on this case, they say that there was a witness on the island who saw investigators speaking harshly to Angelica that day and this witness saw how upset Angelica was and actually approached her a few times to ask her if she was okay because it looked bad like it it, which it kind of paints this picture that this confession was bullied out of Angelica if it happened at all because once they get off the island and bring Angelica in for an 11 hour interview I say interview because it was an interrogation her lawyer says that in these 11 hours which was all recorded not once did police say tell us what you just told us on the island why did you just told us you killed him on the island so for someone who just confessed why do they need an 11 hour interrogation to get her to say it again they leave the island and Angelica isn't under arrest. She's not in handcuffs, because apparently the investigators didn't even bring a fucking pen, let alone handcuffs. But she also has to take a boat back with the investigators. And at one point on the boat ride, investigator Moscato said that Angelica looks very elated, and she freely yells, I'm free! And like waves her arms around, kind of like a titanic moment. And police are thinking, no you're not, you're a murderer. I think Angelica was feeling guilty for manifesting her fiance's accident just by thinking she wished he was dead and in this moment she felt good for telling somebody about her guilt but girl they are not your therapist they are not your psychologist these are investigators so if she did actually say this which I'm not so sure she did maybe that's what was happening here and honestly I think she's confused Also, it should be known that she was never read her Miranda rights until she was at the police station, which means any confession on the island, if it indeed happened, like police said, it was thrown out. You can't use that. She didn't have her rights read to her. But let's talk about this interrogation, an 11-hour interrogation in my opinion, and I'm sure in others' opinions, is that serves a purpose to wear somebody down. This is like psychological torture. Think about being locked in a room for 11 hours with investigators playing mind games and asking you the same thing over over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. See, you're probably already annoyed with how many times I said over there. Imagine that for 11 hours. Have you ever been really tired at work or something? Like, what happens when you stay awake for a long time? It's, it's known that we need sleep to revive our brain. Tired people make mistakes. Exhausted people do not think clearly at all. It's, this is how you get false confessions, basically. In the taped interrogation, Angelica says she could have removed the plug. She says she didn't want to kill him or anything like that, and she even said she still wanted to have his babies. She does admit that their relationship was a bit rocky because of the sexual demands Vincent wanted, like threesomes and porn and all the strip clubs, and she didn't want any of that. She was a more organic type of gal. Investigators are getting nowhere, and what they claim, she said on the island, is not what's being said back at the police station. Remember how on the island investigators said that Angelica said she took the ring that keeps Vincent's paddle together off his paddle? Well, now in the interrogation, she is saying she never took that ring off the paddle. And she even seems kind of surprised when they ask her when she took the ring off the paddle, like this is the first time she's hearing about it. She admitted to the plug, But it turns out that Vincent often used his kayak without that drain plug in and I think perhaps investigators were trying to take advantage of the fact that English wasn't her first language and she would confuse the word ring for plug because they're like when did you take the ring off the paddle did you take it off that day or they ask her something like that and she was like I never took the ring off the paddle like that she is making a very direct statement there. And she seems surprised, like, what are you talking about? When did I take that? I didn't take that. Also, here's a curveball. If the plug and ring were off the entire time, then how did his kayak not sink and the paddle not come apart on the way to the island? The 40-minute kayak ride, run, I don't know, I don't kayak, whatever you call it, paddle over to the island. Why didn't his paddle fall apart? Why didn't his kayak sink then? So I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, but first, during the interrogation, there are breaks. Angelica is allowed to smoke cigarettes. She does, um, she does some stretching in the room and yoga, and of course, this made it onto the news to look like she didn't care. Especially when she was doing hopscotch in the interrogation room. Ooh, not good. Cartwheels, hopscotch. Just stop. Just stop doing that, Angelica. I don't know about you, but um, I've never seen a murderer doing hopscotch in an interrogation room before. It's like she was digressing into a childlike state. That's what I thought when I saw it. And one way to trigger your parasympathetic response when you feel unsafe is to think about safe memories. And often people can do this without realizing that this is happening. This is the brain's way of making you feel safe. That is actually a pro tip when uh, if you feel anxious or panic attacks coming on uh, first step is to allow the anxiety allow the panic not to fight it fighting it is actually what causes it that's what makes it worse that's what makes it grow stronger Then, for me speaking from personal um, experience the second step is to think of a safe warm happy memory from my past and that signals to the brain you are safe, it connects these neurons, science happens in your brain and your brain is like, oh, that's a safe memory, I'm safe. I can't just tell myself to calm down. I have to take these steps uh, and I might be projecting, (laughs) you know, totally possible, but perhaps Angelica is using some of these techniques. These techniques are something I wish I would have learned years ago and it was through therapy in a nutshell, um, online therapy that I actually learned these techniques. And I've put them into practice and it works really, really good. So if you suffer from panic attacks and you think you're never, ever, ever going to be free from them again, when you feel one coming on, allow it. I'm telling you, just say allow it. Let it wash through you. It's almost like you, I'm getting really sidetracked here, I'm sorry, but it's almost like um, you let it, like... Literally go through your body. Just allow it. Just embrace that. Embrace it and allow it. A lot of people say like, oh, take a deep breath. First of all, that doesn't work. That makes it worse. Personally, if someone is ever having a panic attack around me or if I'm having a panic attack, I would never tell that person to, to breathe. That is, in my mind, that is the worst thing I could say to somebody having a panic attack because oftentimes they feel suffocated. They feel like they can't breathe, so for me to tell them oh just take a breath and you'll be fine first of all that's what's causing this right now is, is you you can't take a breath that is what is happening so just tell them to allow it and think of a safe memory and literally let it wash through them and if you're if you know my hands get really scrunched up when i'm having panic attacks i make fists release the hands calm body is a calm mind shit I got really off topic there okay back to back to this interrogation sorry about that sidetrack in this interrogation they grind Angelica down it is exhausting just to watch and I watched parts of this repeatedly they keep telling her you killed Vinny you wanted him dead and she says you're the one telling me and the cop says no I'm asking you But it's clearly him telling her this, like over and over and over again. And this is fucked up because this is exactly how false confessions happen. You wear people down, you tell them lies repeatedly, and it's possible that they just end up saying something that is completely untrue. That incriminates them for a long time. If you lock someone in a room and repeatedly tell them that they did something for 11 hours and don't let them sleep, eventually you are going to mold their brain into believing a lie. Uh, She says... Yeah, she took that plug out, but a long time ago, not on that day, she admits, yeah, she wanted him dead, but she never killed him. Which those are very different things. But the most damning thing said in the eleven hour interview was when Angelica said, I wanted him dead, and now he's gone and I'm okay with it. Ooh, that um yeah, that doesn't look good. This but you know what? That's not a confession though. That's not a confession. This goes back to to my theory of her feeling guilty for wishing he was dead, and then he did die. The whole manifestation thing. It sounds like she has accepted what has happened and realized, you know, she didn't kill him. The frigid rough waters did that. Essentially, they wore her down. The interrogation ends with her demanding the police bring her her cat immediately. (laughs) She, She was worried about who would take care of her cat and the police told her no we cannot bring you your cat, you cannot have your cat in jail because that is where you're going right now and after this 11 hour grueling interrogation on April 30th 2015 she is arrested and charged with second degree murder. Just over a month later on March 23rd Vincent's body is discovered and pulled from the Hudson River just a mile away from where he went missing. I'm not sure how he didn't end up really far away, like why the currents didn't take him, because this river is moving. This is a big fucking river. This is huge. So I don't know. I I I have no idea, and it just also seemed strange to me. Despite the cold water, his body was badly decomposed, and dental records were needed to confirm it was him, and it was him. Investigators, they paint this picture for the courts. They say Angelica convinced Vincent to go out that day on the kayaks by telling him they would have a sexy photo shoot on the island. They say she removed the plug and the ring from his kayak and paddle with intent to kill him. And they say that when he was drowning... She took his paddle and pushed him away, waited 15 minutes after his body was submerged in water, and then called 911 pretending she was frantic and worried. They say she murdered him for his life insurance money. So this is the motive that they link to this, which let's just talk about that for a moment. The policy was for half a million dollars, okay? That's uh, that's a lot, but he had three beneficiaries on it, which is smart for, you know, for him to do that. Um, He had his – unless all those people don't like you and then they all get together and then plan to kill you, which I wonder if that's ever happened and I'm going to look that up right after I'm done recording. Anyways, he had his mother and his sister as well as Angelica as a beneficiary. So it's not like Angelica would get half a million dollars. Moscato says that he found out that uh, Vincent was demanding Angelica get a job or else he would kick her out of his home, which maybe he said that to her – But would he actually kick out his fiancee? And then would she actually come up with this scheme to murder him so she didn't have to go back to doing like part-time bar work? I mean, yeah, I would rather do part-time bar work than kill somebody any fucking day. But you know what? We have heard some crazy life insurance murder stories. So I don't know. It's just an easy thing to call motive, really. Investigators did also find the plug and the ring from the kayak and paddle in Angelica's car, which that, uh, yes, that looks bad. But also if she was guilty and went through all this effort to stage this elaborate accident murder, then why would she not have thrown those things in the garbage or the river? Why keep them on her if she's guilty of of? murder like it just seems like something you would get rid of just three days after vincent's body was discovered angelica was indicted for second degree murder and second degree manslaughter how are those two things in the same charge i don't know but the legal system perplexes me at the best of time so i'm not even gonna go into that i oftentimes wish i had a law degree while i do this show but you know what i just i i can't do it i can't do it i can't study law i don't think i think i would just uh, be uh, bored a lot Let's talk about this damn kayak. The plug they are talking about is small in size. It's the size of an American nickel. It's probably an inch wide, and it is located at the top front of the kayak. I don't kayak. I have no idea if a small plug being removed could sink it. I think if it could, then Vincent's kayak would have sank Before they even got to the island, not on the way home, which is why I found it so strange when the investigators say they tested their theory on a similar kayak to Vincent's with the plug out on a calm river with somebody sitting in it, which was the same weight as Vincent, and it sunk. They say they did multiple tests and simulated waves with the same results. Investigator Moscato said on a calm river without the plug, the kayak sank without fail after 7 to 10 minutes. Doesn't that just prove they did something wrong in their recreation? Because Vincent made it the 40-minute kayak to the island with no problems. This detail blows my mind it blows my mind. It was never questioned the way I'm questioning it now. I never heard anyone ask police then why didn't why didn't he sink in 7 to 10 minutes into the trip to the island. That was my first fucking question. Like you're telling me this kayak's going to sink in 7 to 10 minutes on a calm river without fail every time. Well then how did he make it to the island? This right here, this one thing for me this really reflected badly on, on the, like, trusting this officer. Like, this just ruined all trust I have for this investigator. So, I wonder if anyone else was going to recreate it. Oh, well, guess what? There's more. Journalists recreate it. Kayak experts weigh in and give their expert opinion. And all of this comes up that the missing plug would not have sank his kayak so am I going to believe the police who have their own agenda or am I going to believe a literal kayak expert and journalists who have nothing to gain from telling the truth I think we know the answer to that one these uh, investigator Moscato he's lost all credibility to me by saying it sunk within seven to ten minutes doesn't make any fucking sense it should have sunk on the way over to the island I just cannot get over that fact I'm sorry I'm gonna move on okay I will, I'm just going to say it, I do not believe the police when they say that they tested the kayak without the plug and it sank without fail every time. I just don't. I do not buy that bullshit. I watched journalists recreate this on an episode, ABC did, on this and they clearly showed the plug-free kayak being used on a river and not taking on enough water to sink. It is possible Vincent took on water from the waves. Yes, that is possible. Uh, Is it possible he capsized in the waves and flipped like Angelica says? Absolutely, that is totally possible. Was he prepared for rough freezing waters? No, he was not. Was he wearing a life jacket or a wetsuit? No, he was not. Do I think this was a tragic accident that is very sad? Yes, I do. But let's talk about what was going on with Angelica's weird behavior after the accident, though. Like the cartwheels and the singing and the drinking. Well, her lawyer says that Latvian people um, have it in their culture to not cry, to not look weak. I don't think crying looks weak. I'm just saying what the lawyer said. So perhaps this is just a cultural difference, um, which does make sense. I don't know anything about Latvian culture, so I can't really weigh in on this. Personally, again, I've never been there. I don't even think I've ever met anyone from Latvia. So I'm just going to take her lawyer's word for it because, well, I don't know. You also can't trust lawyers. <laughs> but um, but so because she didn't act like Americans think she should have been acting, it doesn't mean she was guilty of murder. It just means that in her culture, they don't mourn openly. The more I looked into this case, the more I felt the police work was bad and it felt like a witch hunt. Angelica was held in jail awaiting her court date and that day came in July 24th of 2017 so she was in jail for a while waiting for this to go through court two years in jail waiting her bail was set at nine million dollars so I guess they were scared she would run away to Latvia or something because nine million that is a uh, lot that is a that's a huge bail. I was talking about Angelica's lawyer before, so yes, Angelica did have a very charismatic lawyer named Richard Portell, And he was doing everything to get her free. He's, he seems like a very good lawyer, I feel like you would want this guy on your side. Before the case could go in front of a judge, and Angelica, she took a plea deal for negligent homicide. The fact that prosecution even offered this proves they felt they were not going to win this case if it went to court. And Angelica was smart to take this because she had already been in jail for two years and the sentencing, which was given to her a few months later on November 8th, was for between one and a half to four years in prison. And by December, so one month later, she was free and released from prison, having done around two and a half years in jail for her crime she was convicted of. She never ever admitted to removing the kayak drain plug with intent to kill Vincent. She never did that. She says in an interview she was unhappy with the lifestyle that Vincent wanted her to lead with him. She didn't like the threesome. She didn't like the strip club lifestyle that he liked, but she never murdered him. She didn't want to murder him. She just wanted him to kind of change his ways and have babies with him. That's what she wanted. First of all, why did she confess to police when they claim she wasn't a suspect? Why did she never repeat what she supposedly told investigators on Bannerman Island in the She never repeated that in in the 11-hour interrogation. That never came up again. That took place on the same day. Why is everyone but the police who recreate this kayak theory of sinking from the missing plug not in line with investigators' theory of events. Why did Vincent's kayak not sink on the way to the island? So let's just entertain the police's theory that she murdered Vincent for the life insurance, shall we? Yes, Angelica got out of prison and is pursuing the life insurance money, but if she does get what's being split between, I think it was two or three people on the beneficiary, her portion is already signed over to her defense team because uh, her defense cost her over half a million dollars to pay for her lawyer. And so I think they said she was going to be getting like $250,000 or something from that. Um, And it's all signed over to her her legal team. She had nothing to gain by killing Vincent. She had everything to gain from him being alive and from being his wife and marrying him. She had so much more to gain from that. It doesn't make sense that she would kill him. And it just, to me, it seemed like police were just clinging to straws. They were just making a murder out of an accident. But that's just my opinion. Honestly, Angelica herself in an interview said that she wasn't capable of this. I also believe she's, I mean, everybody could be capable of murder if, you know, you're going to be murdered or, you know, everyone can be pushed somehow in some way. Um, but I don't think, I don't think this was her being pushed murder I just I just don't and there isn't enough evidence to prove murder oh this was a roller coaster of a case to research and I wasn't expecting to think she was innocent when I started researching this but after hearing everything and especially the police's recreation of how the kayak sank I, I will never get over that compared to the journalists and kayaking experts recreations and opinions. I was like, okay, okay, something is amiss here. His kayak would have sank on the original journey over to Bannerman's Island. And Why would it sink on the way? It just, yeah, you know how I feel about this. My question is, though, what do you think? Do you think she's innocent? Do you think she's guilty? Do you think it was an accident? Do you think it was murder? Let me know in the comments on the Instagram post about this case. Please head on over there and let me know. And that concludes this week's episode. Please share, follow, rate, review, whatever you can do to help a small podcast grow because I want to keep creating this podcast for a long time. And if you subscribe or follow, then it helps my host site and platform providers know that you like it and it will just really help me a lot and I can continue to create content for you to listen to. So please do all of that and check out Hell No, A True.